Welcome to It's All About the Questions, where learning to ask the right questions can help you achieve lifelong success. Now, here to help you ask all the right questions is award-winning author, international speaker, and business strategist, Laura Stewart. Afternoon and evening, everyone. We are back with this week's show, and boy, do I have a doozy for you. I'm excited to have my my dear friend of, we're thinking like 25 years or something like that, Roger Werno on the show today. I, I picked this particular guest today because of a couple of things that have happened to me going back and forth to doctors with my mom and myself and reading certain documents they're asking me to sign, and I'm like, this is not allowed. What you're doing is not right. So what are your medical rights? Um, this applies mostly to people in the United States. If you're not in the United States, I think you'll get some nice, interesting tidbits out of this as well. But what are your medical rights? What is HIPAA? How does it apply to you? And how do you know what you can ask for and what you can't and what the doctors are allowed to do and not? So please welcome my most awesome guest to the show, Roger Werno. Good morning. Roger, so back when HIPAA was just a thought in some people's, you know, in their brains and their ideas, you were involved with something called the Sharps Committee that actually wrote the law, correct? That is correct. They they helped to write the law. <clears throat> the law is generally written by Congress, obviously, but they write the regulations that implement the law. And... As an unusual thing, this was done by a group of people who were not bureaucrats. Um, they were volunteers. They were volunteers? Uh, a few bureaucrats were involved, but most of the people that wrote this regulation were volunteers. That goes all the way back to 2000. So how did you get involved with it? By accident. By accident, by accident. I, I mean, you have this background and everything. I, I do have the background, but I foolishly went to a seminar, and I sat in the front row, and sitting next to me was the uh, Secretary of Health of the state of Florida. I didn't know that, but I did open my mouth when I didn't like something that was said, and I guess I made enough of a spectacle that uh, when the seminar was over, I felt someone holding on to my arm and saying, I'd like to talk to you for a few minutes. <laughs> now, I knew you because you had um, a technology services company like I did in my last incarnation. And you had a focus on healthcare. Did that prepare you to do this? Or was it just because you honestly cared about healthcare and political stuff and all of that? Well, I actually have a healthcare background that goes back to high school, uh, where my doctor's son, who is my closest friend, and I built a heart pump for a science fair, and it won a prize. So my interest goes way, way back, but my interest in, in this, of course, is a combination of my IT background, my accounting background, and just general interest in the subject. I mean... Like everyone, I'm a patient first. That's an interesting comment. Like everyone, you're a patient first. At the end of the day, who does HIPAA really protect? The patient? And, and for everybody who isn't familiar, HIPAA is Health Insurance Privacy Portability Act. But there's a lot more involved with it than just those words. 
Yes, there, there is a lot more involved. Uh, there's quite a history to it. Um, HIPAA goes back to 1994, 1995, when uh, a drug company, a drug store company, decided that it was good business to sell the information on their prescription records back to the drug companies. And people, me being one of them, uh, started getting letters from, you know, big drug companies saying, hi, now that you're taking our product, we have some hints for you. And I was appalled. I was absolutely appalled that all of a sudden, out of the blue, I was getting letters from a big drug company. And I went, first thing I did was go, went and yelled at my doctor. Why did you sell all this information? He said, I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, so I tracked it and I found out that there were over the next six, eight months, over 50,000 letters sent to Congress people complaining about getting letters from drug companies. And in, by 1996, uh, Teddy Kennedy, a Democrat and Nancy Kassebaum, a Republican sat down together and said, we don't want to hear any more about this. Um, we need to fix this problem. And after that, became something came out that became known as HIPAA. And it, it went far beyond just that you can't release those records to drug companies. Why did, do you think that it developed into something that touches every aspect of the communication? It does actually go further than that even because it handles the technology side of it too. It standardized the transactions first. They actually put almost two years into figuring out what needed to be done to assure privacy. And part of it was that all of the information had to be submitted, number one, to the insurance companies, number two, to the government for Medicare purposes, uh, in standardized forms. So it looked first at the technology, then it looked at the privacy, and later on they looked a little bit more into it and realized that if you're going to have privacy, you need to have security to help keep the privacy. And then you have the portability part, which was the standardization that enabled people to get to their records and for the records to transmit to each doctor, medical, insurance, wherever that it needed to go. That is correct. And a big part of that, not just the portability, but the standardization of the records allowed the insurance companies and I say allowed with a quotation marks. And I can see the smirk on your face. Uh, yes. <laughs> Allow the insurance companies to standardize their forms. Uh, those of us who have been in the business for many years remember the days when every single insurance company had the claims submitted using a different form. Wow. So okay. Your average uh, healthcare office had to have specialists for Blue Cross, specialists for Medicare, specialists for this, specialists for that. And the bottom line was it was very, very expensive. So at the beginning, they actually cut the cost of health care. By standardizing things and making it easier to, yes. to process and stuff like Correct. that. Okay, so I, I understand the whole idea behind HIPAA, which was to, number one, protect your information. I mean, medical fraud, medical identity theft is has become a huge, huge business. I mean, people's information have been stolen. I know some people who 
got bills from hospitals saying they had surgeries and they never did. And they discovered that somebody had gone in for surgery using their information because it had been sold on the black market for somebody to get some surgery that they needed. Are we taking things too far with this whole concept of, of HIPAA and beyond? Some people would say yes to that question, particularly um, a lot of physician offices feel slightly overburdened by this. Uh, part of that is a, a lack of understanding of what's really required and what isn't required but has become uh, urban legend type of thing. Like the the thought of, I, I still remember when this first started, people saying, well, how is this, is this going to work? I'm going to sit in the doctor's office and I'm going to know that person next to me. Do they need to wear paper bags with eye holes over their head to keep them private? No, that's going a little bit too far. Uh, but there are lots of legends just like that still out there. Well, I know one of them is when you check in, they make you sign your name. And some offices, you sign your name and they immediately take it off on a sticker so that nobody else can see it. Other ones, they black it out and other offices the names are just there throughout the entire day, so anybody who walks in can see who else has been a patient since it's a full name. Is that another urban legend? Is that part of it? No. In some cases, it may be a good thing to do. In others, it's less important. Uh, if you're walking into a, a, a seriously private place like a, an HIV clinic, that's a very good thing to do. To remove the names? To or? remove the names right afterwards. Okay. But if you're in your, your average doctor's office, they're going to remove the name. You're going to sit down next to your neighbor. Um, and it's really hard to hide. So in that environment, it's a little different. So how does somebody determine the line that they need to walk if there's no one rule that says this is what you need to do? It, it starts to become a very gray area on how people implement that's true. It, it is a very gray area, but the biggest thing you have to use is common sense. Uh, common sense says that if you're in a in a, a doctor's office and you're you have fifty people next to you, you really don't need to do that because you're going to know at least thirty of the fifty people in a small town such as Vero Beach. Right. Uh, if if you're in an HIV clinic where they purposely stage their people to come in so that they don't see each other, and there are clinics that are careful enough to do that, well, then peeling that name off is a really good thing to do. Okay. So you're supposed to apply some common sense to this. <laughs> Which some people will tell you there is no common sense in medicine when it comes to implementation. <laughs> and that seems true very often. All right. Um what I what I love about this conversation, everyone, is I want you to start thinking of how this will shift your perspective when you walk into your doctor's office, when you walk into a hospital, when you're requesting information. Because if we don't know the right questions to ask around our health care rights, then we're going to have some trouble when we need to get it. I know I encounter this when I deal with information for my mom and I get different inf different. Um, answers from medical offices. So thank God I know the law and I can quote them chapter and verse. We'll be right back with more from my guest, Roger Werno. And I'd like to thank my sponsor, Sazmax, bringing cloud applications to your life. We'll be right back. Roger, we were talking about this whole 
where does the line draw? How do you know what is right or not? Since each doctor's office seems to implement HIPAA a little bit differently. Let's step back and talk about what HIPAA covers and how it relates to the average person when they go to their doctor's office and need information. Okay, we can we can certainly take a, a look at the basics of it. Um, what it covers is the confidentiality of your health information, the integrity of the data that contains your health information, and the availability of that information to those who truly need it. Uh, we call that the CIA. It's it's not those guys in in Langley. It's it's also not the uh, guys that teach people how to cook in and make New chocolate York, or and make chocolate. <laughs> but um, it it is a very important concept because most people are somewhat afraid of getting their information out in the middle of the world where somebody could do some harm with it. But the confidentiality is is, is obvious. It's keeping the information private. The information has to be between you and your doctor if you're going to have the confidence that you can tell your doctor anything. Because if you don't tell your doctor something because you're afraid he's going to tell someone, you may not tell him something that's very important to your health. You don't want to be in that position. Okay, so that that handles that first part of it, the privacy, in terms of between you and the doctor. Right, um, the integrity part of it is uh, more internal to the doctor's office. They need to know that that data is solid, safe. No one has made mistakes with it. No one has made it incorrect because they've accidentally changed something. There's a lot of technical sides to integrity, and that's the IT side that uh, you and I lived years ago. Yes. That's um, a very important thing. And so is the availability. I mean, if I go into my doctor's office with a cold and he can't get to my health care records, that's not a terrible thing. But if I'm lying on the table unconscious and the heart surgeon is about to open me up and has a scalpel in his hand um, and he turns his head to look at his screen to see what the last image of my heart was and the screen is blank, the availability becomes a serious issue. Okay, and and that's an extreme example of availability. I know that myself, um, a few months ago, one of my mom's doctors broke off from the practice he was at and went into his own practice. We signed pieces of paper that said we wanted the records transferred. You know, we've probably all have seen these things where they go, okay, we need records from another doctor. So we signed it, and then they go, Oh, well, you're going to have to pay a fee to get your records from the other office to my new office. And that fee is the only way you're going to get it transferred. And it's like, well, wait a minute. You're the one who decided to leave your practice that you were with and go out on your own. Why do Number one, why do we have to pay that fee? And number two, the other practice made it so onerous to get the records out, to get the images and stuff, that after about four or five months of trying, we basically gave up. You were not the first person I heard that from. It's become a major issue, and it's become enough of an issue that 
some congressmen that are on the health and uh, human services committees went to health and human services and said, you have to fix this. You need to address this issue. Um, and the issue is in process of being addressed at this point in time. They've had a couple of guidance documents come out. And guidance documents, when they come from health and human services, have the effect of law um, as far as the doctor's offices are concerned. So while they're not truly the law, they are the standard of care. And when you see the standard of care being violated, uh, health and human services tends to send their uh, not-so-nice folks out to walk into a doctor's office and say, guys, we need to have a little discussion here. And they're doing that at the rate of, they have approximately 600 people out on the street now looking into things like this. But that particular issue, you do have the right to your records. They are not allowed to unreasonably get between you and your ability to get those records. Indeed, as of this week, a form has been accepted by Health and Human Services as the standard form to use to get your own records. Uh, it was just published about three days ago. And it's somewhat easy to get. If you'd like to follow up at some point in time, I will get you the link for it. That would be great, and we'll post that on the website for people as well. That'd be terrific. We are sending it out to uh, approximately 90 of our clients who now have customized forms for this. We're saying this is a great idea, one standardized form for everyone. Uh, we're giving up our own copyrighted form and using this one instead. Uh, it, it just makes a lot more sense. But it does say, these are the records I want. This is when I want them. This is how I want them because you have the right to get them either on paper or electronically if they're available that way. And these days most are. Um, when you need them or who you want them sent to. Now, can you be charged for this? Yes. Uh, every state has its own uh, list of charges that are available. They are very, very reasonable. You cannot be charged $600 for the first page. Nothing like that is allowed. Um, Florida has its own particular price, and honestly, I don't even remember it, but it's, it's quite low. It's something like $10 a page for the first page and then $0.25 cents a page after that, something along those lines. It can be uh, found on the Internet, by the way. Just look up Florida costs for copying medical records. Well, it can get pretty cost-prohibitive, like if you have, um, I know it, one of my doctors, when I was going through all the tick stuff, my file folder had to be three inches thick from all of the the blood work, all of the tests, everything that was done. Uh, if I had to pay, you know, hundreds and hundreds of dollars in order to get those records sent to a new doctor, that begins to make it impossible for some people who don't have that money to get their records. I remember when I was a little kid and my pediatrician said, okay, you're now ready for, you know, an adult doctor. He literally handed me my folder and I took it to the next doctor. Obviously the world has changed. So how do we address something like that? Well, it definitely has changed. And the simple fact is electronic transmission of these records, either through uh, 
a service, something along the lines of one product is called Direct Trust, which is uh, one of the more universally accepted methods of handling the pro- the transfer of data. There are health information exchanges that do that, and there are the simple methods of walking into the doctor's office with a blank wrapped thumb drive and say, can you please put it on this? And they can only charge you the actual cost of preparation. Which is about nothing. <laughs> uh, well, give, give them two bucks to take the person away from their lunch hour. Okay. Okay. There you go with that. We're going to be coming back um, from the national news break. We're about to cut out so that. We are here with Roger Werno, health information expert, security. He deal. He actually helped write the HIPAA law way back when and helps implement it in doctor's offices and help people deal with getting their records. So we'll be right back with more from the amazing, wonderful Roger Werno because you know what? You need to know what data you have a right to get when it comes to your health questions. For me, asking questions is about shifting your perspective and making you think in a different way. It's that moment when you get an answer that makes you feel a little uncomfortable and makes you think twice about perhaps the path that you're going down. When I first met my guest, Roger Werno, who we've been talking to, he approached me and said, I've heard all these amazing things about you. We need to talk. And that started a lifelong friendship (laughs) that taught me tremendous things about healthcare that I didn't know, which ended up building my tech business up because I created a, a vertical in healthcare with helping doctor's offices implement the new HIPAA requirements and the laws. And Roger, before the news break, we were talking about how different people implement the law. We were talking about the privacy of the law and the security about the law. During the break, you mentioned something that really got me fascinated. You started talking about healthcare privacy, social media, and getting hired to a new job. Let's talk about that. Yeah, it's, it's a very interesting situation right now. Um, and, and I have a friend who's, uh, who, who I work with that, that we both know whose daughter is an active social media person, and she tends to live her whole life on Facebook. So when she was feeling ill, uh, that would be on Facebook. If she had something serious wrong and and needed surgery and would be out of work for a while, that would be on Facebook. Take that a step further. If you're looking for a new job, your employer these days is probably going to ask if you have a Facebook page and take a look at it. If every time you've taken a day off from work or everything that's bothered you is out there on Facebook, do you want to give the impression to someone that you're sick all the time? Do you want to give, not a potential employer, maybe you feel sick all the time but you go to work and work very hard and you're really good at your job. But are you going to give the impression on social media that your health is going to be a problem at your next job? And will you or will you not get hired because of that? That, That's fascinating because already a lot of businesses now, they are asking to look at your Facebook page because they want to understand your values, your ethics, 
Um, if you've done anything really stupid, gotten really drunk, gotten whatever, um, defamed anybody on it, never would have thought about you put somebody on something on Facebook about your health that they may not hire you because of that. As a business owner, I would I know that I'd have to think twice if I saw somebody out there constantly being out sick or talking about always being sick or how they're not feeling well. Maybe they got really drunk one night. It would definitely make me question it because every single employee I have, I need their skills there as much as possible. Well, take that a step further and say, okay, I may put this on Facebook, but it really doesn't have the details. My doctor may have the details. So what's the value of somebody getting to my healthcare record? I can tell you that the value last time I checked this of a healthcare record on the what a lot of people call the dark web runs from about fifty to seventy five dollars per healthcare record as opposed to your credit card, which is worth about fifty cents. Okay, so take us through that. What about that healthcare record is important? I given the example about somebody's having false surgeries when their information was stolen, but let's take us into that. Okay. You really can't change your health care record. You've, you've had an appendix removal. You've, you've, had, uh, you've had all of your shots. You've had, for some people, children, uh, operations. You've had issues. Your whole health care record is something you don't ever want to change. It's not like your credit card where you can call the bank up and say, cancel that one, send me a new one, thank you, and it's done the next day. You really can't do that with your healthcare record. Someone can build an entire persona of you with your healthcare record. They know your social security number because it's probably part of your Medicare number, which, by the way, is going to be changed soon enough. Well, not soon enough, but it will be changed. Um, it has your the color of your eyes. It has your height. It has your rough weight. Um, it has all of this information about you that you can use to build a personality for yourself and go and get a mortgage loan. People have done that. All because they were able to get access to your, your health care record. That's correct. And it will be consistent if someone goes back and says, um, well, you know, I'd like you to get me a copy of your health care record if you could get that without stealing a new copy, it would be identical because no one is going to change that saying, well, I'm, I wanted them not to know that I had an appendix uh, issue and they had my appendix removed. Okay, that's not going to happen. Your doctor's not going to change your record. So one, uh, of the, one of the cautions for everybody out there would be be careful about what you share on social media. I mean, we've talked about this before, um, all the surveys that are out there that, the contests and things, what's your favorite rock concert? What was the first one you went to? We're seeing nowadays in the cybersecurity world that those are really put out there by people who are lurking because those are often answers you use for your security answers to get into secure websites and healthcare data and financial data and stuff like that. So the best bet is just don't answer those. But also now we have to look at what are we posting? Because, you know, it's probably not just going out to our friends. It's something that can be hacked and can get out there and then can 
cause other problems for us. I, I tracked down a car that was parked in our parking lot that way. Through social media. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's a ripe area for data mining these days, and it, it's used by people with both good and bad intentions. Mine was merely to keep the car from getting towed out of our parking lot. But you found it through social media. Yes, I did. All right, everybody. So when you're looking at your own postings on social media, let's ask ourselves this question. Is this something that if it were to get into the hands of the wrong person, not the right people that you want praying for you or helping you out with something, how damaging could it be? Let's use some common sense out there. Now, Roger, you and I both helped um, medical offices implement HIPAA and security. Um, Recently, I was somewhere where they asked me to sign a piece of paper that said, if you don't sign this, the doctors can't even communicate with you. And it was a blanket statement. It said something along the lines of, we, by signing this, you've given all rights to um, to us, third-party billing companies, doctors, affiliates, and other to communicate with you. Is that the is that infringing on the HIPAA laws? Where does that take out? How do we know when we walk into a doctor's office if we can sign something? Well. When you gave me that, it, it took me a minute or two to stop laughing after I read it uh, because two pages down on the same document was the Notice of Privacy Practices, which said something totally different. So one of the problems with something like that is someone perceived a problem and wrote their own little form to cure a problem that really didn't exist. At the end of the day, nothing can prevent the doctor and the patient from communicating, correct? That is correct. When, when we, and we had this argument time after time after time because the, the group of people that wrote this were a combination of a couple of lawyers, a couple of doctors, uh, uh, a couple of bureaucrats, uh, a couple of consultants, and, and people that worked in doctor's offices as clerical staff, office managers. The argument always came down to the same thing. We can't write a regulation that gets between the patient and the doctor. The entire intent of HIPAA, and you can find this stated in the federal... um, Federal Register. Thank you. The Federal Register. I lost it. Um, Back when we were first discussing this, all those pages still exist, and those comments made it into the Federal Register. How does somebody find the Federal Register to look at the actual HIPAA law if they're interested? Because this thing is about four or five, no, it's like six inches thick or something now, I think. Oh, it's 45 CFR, Section 164. (laughs) (laughs) I I know that one pretty well. Uh, It's on the Internet. It's very easy to find. Just search for it under Mm -hmm. Federal Register. So Federal Register HIPAA? Would be what somebody would Google? That'll work. It'll actually get there. There's a lot of different ways to get it. Any sensible search will find it very quickly. Okay, so the law is not supposed to get between you and your doctor. That's correct. And, but yet, there's all this paper that seems to be put 
<laughs> in the middle of it. I like the aspects of security, right, where the doctors now have to – I'm not a huge necessarily fan of electronic medical records because I want the doctor to look at me and not look at their computer screen to key stuff in. But there's a reason for it. It standardizes things and makes your records portable versus having to copy and carry paper. To you, what is the one thing and, – and I'm looking at the time. We're going to do this when we come back. I'm going to ask Roger this question. What is the one thing that every patient and every doctor needs to know about HIPAA and how it needs to be implemented? So we're going to be do- doing more of that right when we come back with Roger. So we're going out to commercial right now. We'll be right back. Here is the question. Okay, Roger. So before the break, I posed this. What is the one thing that you feel patients and doctors need to know about the law for from their different perspectives? To me, the single most important thing that you, you as a patient need to know is that if there appears to be a problem with this law that's keeping you from communicate, communicating to your doctor or to your doctors, then the problem is the doctors, not the law. The law will always allow you to do it. Tell the doctor that you need to do this and you need to do it now. If you really have a problem, go file a complaint. It's easy enough to do. Go to Health and Human Services and say, file HIPAA complaint in the search box. It will be investigated. They investigate every single complaint. And they do it gently. Uh, if, if a doctor has a complaint like that, someone will actually call the doctor's office from Health and Human Services and say, Doctor, we've had this complaint. Can, can we talk about it? And they'll do it in a very kind and gentle manner. As kind as big government can be. <laughs> um, actually, they're, they're very good at it. I, okay. I've been on the wrong end of one of those conversations with one of my clients. Um, it, it's generally handled nicely. And usually it cures the problem very quickly. So it's generally an implementation issue from the doctor's office not fully understanding the best way to implement? That's the most common issue. It's, it's rarely that the doctor is, is being nasty or anything like that. It's almost always a misunderstanding of the law. Again, when we wrote the law, it was not meant to get between the doctor and the patient. Okay. From a doctor's side, what's that one question? What's that one thing they need to understand? Am I keeping my patient's information safe? It's become the biggest problem in healthcare now. One of my patients had a breach. One of my doctors, I mean, had a breach. And it cost him $25,000 to fix the problem. Was that the fines or was that the physical fixing? That was the physical fixing. It was the, what do I do to prove that the breach did not expose all of my patient records to the Internet? What do I do to make sure that that didn't happen and to make sure that it can't happen? Uh, Their insurance company did get involved and paid the $25,000, but that's a very small fine. It was a very small practice. a large practice can easily spend millions of dollars. Uh, 
I believe it was one of the major practices in Massachusetts associated with one of the hospitals up there that ended up with an $8 million fine and costs because they didn't keep the records safe. And it's the simple things. Someone bought a new laptop, plugged it into the system. The laptop was stolen. And all the data was on it in an unencrypted format. That's correct. Okay. Uh, I've also seen other ones where somebody went with paper files. They were carrying paper files back and forth to an office, and it was a convertible, and they flew out the, the back of the convertible. We actually found files in a parking lot outside of a hospital in the St. Augustine area uh, as we went to visit one of our clients who was in the medical building there. So a lot of it is simple basic safety things it is it's not rocket science really when it gets to the rocket science stage go find an it professional don't try to do it yourself and if you are an it professional as i know i have a lot of of my friends from my industry um on board and you want to deal with healthcare, you really need to step back understand your liabilities as a business associate and get trained in the proper way to handle that data um, if you're a medical office and you're listening to the show today and you're uncertain about your implementations of the law and being sure you're safe, you're going to want to bring somebody on board like a Roger Werno and his company, RMW Associates, to do an evaluation and help you assess it. If you're a patient. If you're a patient, I recommend you go to the Internet and look on the Health and Human Services website. It has a wealth of patient-level information written in plain English. I, I like that. You know, I, I've gotten really good at reading these documents because you trained me really, really well over the years, so I know when something flags up, but the average person doesn't. So how do they get in touch with you if, number one, they're an IT professional and need some help making sure that their clients are protected and they're protected as well because if there is a breach, the IT professional as well as the doctor's office can be named in the in the case by the federal government. And if you're a doctor's office and, and you need some help because you have weird documents that say other. <laughs> <laughs> yes, other doesn't work well. So how do they reach out to you, Roger? It, very simple. Uh, an email at roger at r. AmazonMichaelWAssociates.com will always get to me. And say that one more time. RMWAssociates.com. Okay, so Roger's email, roger at RMWAssociates.com. All right, so Roger, we've been talking about HIPAA. We've been talking about medical privacy and the law and that it's not supposed to get between you and the doctor. What would be a last thought? that you'd like to live my, leave my listeners with? You know, we have patients listening, potential patients, caregivers that are taking, oh, that's a great one we can go to. So caregivers who are taking care of somebody, what do they need to have to be able to access their loved one's records in crisis? Every office should have the availability of a form that you can be listed on that allows you to access those records at that doctor's office. Past that, you really, if, if you're a caregiver for someone who can't always help themselves, you really need to have an attorney write the appropriate documentation for you to carry. 
my son has a, a power of attorney and a medical power of attorney for me. Uh, I had that done because I can get hit by a truck walking out of this office. No, no, no. Don't, don't, don't <laughs> even jinx that. Okay. But, uh, you know, we all should give some thought to that because it, your documentation is being kept secure for a really good reason. But there are times when you don't want it secure, you want someone to have it. And at that point in time, you're thinking ahead and having an attorney help you with the appropriate documentation for that is probably a really good idea. So everybody, I really think that's something important. You need to plan health care and you need to plan for that moment when you can't speak for yourself or that somebody you love can't speak for themselves. So Roger mentioned a medical, medical health care, power of attorney, and a power of attorney. Every state, does they have their own kind of version of it? Pretty much. But consult a good attorney, it sounds like, to, to draft something that lets you talk in case somebody can't speak. Uh, I, I'm the shoemaker's child. I just did that about six months ago, and I've known I should do that for many, many years. <laughs> I know that um, you are my... You have my medical health care power right, of attorney, right. and I have one other person as well. It's nice to have two different people just in case something happens. I want to thank you so much for being here today, Roger. You really enlightened us on things that we need to take care of with our own health care and our information. So thank you. It was a pleasure. Everybody, this show is about shifting perspectives. It's your experiences that help you shift those experiences, but sometimes you need an outside perspective, and that's why I bring my guests to you every week, and that's why SASMAX also helps you learn the best cloud applications to grow your business. Remember, everyone, the right questions truly can change your life. So what are you asking today? Have a great day, everyone. You've been listening to It's All About the Questions, starring Laura Stewart. Connect with Laura at itsallaboutthequestions.com and download a free workbook that will help you ask better questions starting today. 